Taxman got you down? The Blau Company is here to help. For 50 years, the Blau Company has focused on building meaningful, long-lasting relationships, ensuring clients understand any and all complicated tax codes. Services include accounting, tax preparation, consulting, and more for both businesses and individuals. The office is located at 1204 East Baseline Road, Suite 104 in Tempe. More information can be found at blauco.com. That's B-L-A-U-C-O dot com. Okay, guys, we are coming right back with this fascinating discussion with Mark Robert Gordon here on Power to the People on Radio Phoenix. But, of course, as we speak, um, in, impeachment process is going on, centered around election interference. Trump, and, and I don't know, briefly before we move on to some other topics, if, you, if you've seen a big difference uh, in the Trump Justice Department compared to the Obama Justice Department on this issue, because you were speaking to, you know, the, the difference in, in the and what's happening with regards to the federal government, what they're doing and they're not doing, of course. And I think what you might have been referring to was this investigation of the three to four million illegal aliens that were bust in, to, of course, to vote for Hillary and, 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 and stole the popular vote from Trump, which is, has no evidence whatsoever behind it. But that was, I know there was actually some investigation and then, then it all just died out because there was, of course, nothing there. It was all just publicity to back up his lies. Well, look at the person who was put at the head of that commission, Chris Kobach, a very oh, yeah. smart individual mm-hmm. uh, in Kansas. He then, uh, he was Kansas Secretary of State, then ran for governor in Kansas and lost in 2018, and now he's running for U.S. Senate. Uh, so the public is smarter than politicians give them credit for. Now, while there are news sources that might skew one way or another, or media sources, I should say, that skew one way or the other, I think that the public, when given full information, can make an educated determination about what things are. I don't think the public at large believed in any way, sense, uh, shape, or form that there were people being bussed in for uh, to, to vote. The, this idea of election fraud, which was brought up earlier in this uh, broadcasts, the idea of election fraud is highly overblown. It is a minute percentage of the electorate o- over uh, the past several decades. Minute. How do, you, how do we know that, though? How do we know that it's that? Like, yeah, how do you know that for sure? With that beyond a shadow of a doubt. You say minute. So how do you know? How can you say that beyond a shadow of a doubt? The number of successful prosecutions are, are tiny, and it's not because there are people that are calling "there's fraud, there's fraud, there's fraud." There's people that that are saying that in politics. It's not that they're not trying to find it; they're trying to find it. What have they found? Very minimal number of prosecutions, successful prosecutions. And some of those prosecutions, there was a lady in Texas, uh, I think it was in uh, the, the prior to the last election, that was found guilty. She she had 
voted twice. But if you listen to the circumstances, you read, listen to her testimony, you read the testimony, uh, look at the facts of the case, it, the idea of it being intentional was very doubtful. Uh, but it happened, and they have a strict compliance rule in, in okay, Texas. Okay, so if I guess my question is, is that if it can happen one time, then it can happen other times, even though that there's a, a, a small percentage, as you say, um, that it happens. The fact of the matter is, is that it still can happen, um, and 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 I'm only saying that because this is what people are thinking. Or some people are thinking like there's and and I think it comes from I, I forget how I think it was like during I want to say it was like when Bush got elected there was that whole issue George W in 2000 and t- yeah yeah okay. yeah <laughs> we're gonna talk guys with the next thing I might get into here in yeah. a second go ahead there, there was that, that that whole issue where people thought that that was a form of fraud because they had to go back and recount uh, the vote. Well, that's fraud of a different sort. That's not fraud. But, that's that's the system. There was concern by. Uh, I, I tried. I, I wear my donkey stripes. I am a Democrat, but mm-hmm. I tried to be very nonpartisan in dealing with election issues. There was a concern uh, expressed that the system was somehow rigged or favored one party or another. Again, my rule as someone that works in this field, is to try to temper those concerns as much as possible because you want to, if we don't have confidence in the system, we've undermined our our, our whole basis for government. So I, I want to make sure that that we believe in the system. We well, can improve it. Well, I'm, I'm, and I'm just, I'm just asking the question because I know other sure. people are asking the same thing. Sure, it's, but you can't always prove a negative. I mean, that's asking to prove that something doesn't exist when there hasn't been proof of it, but still show that it doesn't exist. So we can, absence of evidence is not necessarily evidence of absence, is what you. Boy, I got to. <laughs> didn't take my, my headache medication before getting that question. Uh, I, I think that the idea of there being election fraud, uh, the notion of it, is so out there, unproven, mm-hmm. because there's nothing to prove it with. Mm-hmm. There, in the scheme of things, you find a few odd examples. Uh, it's it's just not there. What we should do is be tr- trying to improve the system to give people more confidence okay. in, in it. So how would you do that? From your perspective, oh, what are ways to improve the system? I, you know, I, I, I think there's there are several reforms that have been talked about. I think there's a problem with the machinery uh, in this country, and and uh, the lack of funding again is what causes the machinery. I was just in Louisiana for their uh, statewide elections, which are held in an, in a non non odd year. Yeah, in an odd year number odd. year. It's uh, there's a handful of states that do it uh, not on the even number of years. And their machinery is I believe from the 1970s. And it's it's a computer touchscreen. You slip a ballot, which is a paper ballot in under the touchscreen screen and then you press the button and even in this election people would press a button and I election protection attorney so I was there on a hotline dealing with legal issues that came up and election issues that came up and people would touch a touch screen and it would go over to not the person that they were touching for but to another person do I think that's intentional no I think it's old equipment 
and, and this equipment, this particular equipment, is known to fail after time. So I think there needs to be a massive investment, and it's worth it to give people confidence in the system. And because all other conf- uh, consequences of elections, and there are consequences, bear on who wins elections. And not all states have paper trails like I mentioned earlier. We do in Arizona. That's just shocking to me. They could have, you know, so they can do a hand audit, like I participated in Yavapai County, to confirm that hey, the system's working, pretty damn close, pretty damn accurate. And it could it could vary the technology or the procedure can vary county by county. Uh, look at what happened in Florida in 2000, which which came up before. You had the butterfly ballot, which uh, was the way that it was designed, uh, with names on one side to match the the choice on the uh, the left side versus the right hand column. But because the way that the lines were drawn, it made like a butterfly effect, and it wasn't straight across. It was diagonal and you possibly ended up with uh, incorrect votes in counties that weren't expected to vote for Pat Buchanan, for example, uh, fairly more liberal, democratic, Jewish counties voting for Pat Buchanan seemed odd. And that was probably due to some technological flaw. You also had punch card system in Florida because some counties used a punch card system. It wasn't unified within the state. And some of those punch cards had, if you remember, hanging chads. And they were trying to determine the intent of the voter after the fact. It's just impossible. I like things where it gives a receipt to somebody to show what their vote is before it's calculated. I like things that uh, are pa- that there is a paper trail. Uh, but I think it goes to confidence even in the the election system. It goes back to the electoral college, which may be something that you want to or speak about further in this in, in this broadcast. I think people need to have confidence that their vote matters. And I think we have to follow the law. Um, the uh, the law in Arizona, well, excuse me, the law in any state, as outlined in Article Two of the U.S. Constitution, the the, the process by which the electoral college delegates are chosen by a state. Um, is determined by the state legislature. That's what's specified in the U.S. Constitution. So that means state law within each individual state determines what that process is, and that has evolved through the history of our republic. And, uh, Mark, were you in D.C. in 2000? Uh, For the election? Well, it it all in 2000. Were you there? Were you there? Yeah, through the election. Were you there that December 2000 for that crazy, you know what I'm talking about? No, unfortunately, I was involved with Al Gore's campaign. I was involved uh, early in the campaign before it actually started. Uh, I had a bad accident, uh, so I I couldn't fulfill my full role. But during the Florida recounts, I was on many calls. And my advice at that point was just do a, a full state recount. Don't cherry pick the districts. Hand count? I didn't. No, I wasn't advocating for that. The, the idea was you had a limited period of time uh, to do re, a, a recount or to do whatever needed to happen in order for the vote to be certified and to know what that vote was with certainty. And that's ultimately what the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court said in Bush v. Gore. They didn't say that George W. Bush won. They said look, there's a statutory time by which all states have to send the list of their electors to the elect- uh, Electoral College to uh, to the government, federal government. And you are out of time now in Florida to recertify the election. And you have a statute in place that says when that uh, certification must take place. 
We're gonna we're gonna go take ahead, a quick break and we'll we'll pick up right there. Okay, guys, we are coming right back with this fascinating discussion with Mark Robert Gordon here on Power to the People on Radio Phoenix. And uh, we're getting into the weeds deep here on election issues. We're focused a little bit right now on that crazy election in 2000. Uh, I was back in D.C. talking to Hill staff, uh, specifically uh, staff of uh, Congressman John Conyers. Uh, at that time, and they were going crazy seeing what was going on. Mark has, has touched on some critical facts with regards to that election. Um, the, the gist of my, my point is that, you know, there's a canard among Democrats that the Supreme Court decided the election, and, and that's simply not true. Uh, there was a, federal, a, a state law in Florida allowing for a hand recount. Uh, 
And initially that started out in specific counties that the uh, Gore campaign wanted to see hand counted. And uh, later the, the, the state Supreme Court in Florida made that a statewide hand recount. Of course, that was frozen by the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court came down with their decision that not that that law was invalid, but that the way the law, the, the way that count that was being done was a violation of the 14th Amendment, equal, uh, equal protection of the laws clause in the 14th Amendment in Section 1. And that the, the process was, was unconstitutional. And so they basically laid out, here's how you have to do it to make it constitutional. Of course, by the time they finished their decision, there wasn't enough time to, do, to go back and then start over again a statewide hand recount uh, in order to uh, determine, uh, to change the, the vote tally determined by the Secretary of State. Miss Harris, I think it was there in Florida, right. in order to recertify a new vote total to possibly change the uh, the Bush victory to maybe a Gore victory, or to reconfirm the George W. Bush victory, uh, the, the 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 who having the most votes, and by state law in Florida, it's whoever whichever candidate gets the most votes is supposed to win the entire electoral college delegation uh, to you know that would represent. Um, the George W. Bush, you know, or Al Gore delegation would represent the state. So anyhow, the point is that um, there wasn't enough time in order to do that before the December 19th date in which the state, all of the states, had to give their uh, votes, their, their electoral college delegates would give their votes for president. The same day it's, it's tr electronically transferred to Washington, D.C., where the vice president counts the votes and certifies the winner. The point is that that date, December 19th, is certified not in the Constitution. It is a statute. That statute could have been changed by Congress. It could have been advanced to January the 5th, January the 10th, in order to, whatever time it takes for the state of Florida to conduct a statewide hand recount in every single county within that state and to fulfill the will of the Florida state legislature. That is the point. Also, the 20th Amendment was another issue. The 20th Amendment was ratified in 1933. That is what changed the date that the vice presidential term begins from March the 4th to January the 20th. The second part of that amendment, 20th Amendment, also sets up a process by which Congress can set up a temporary president after if, if the Electoral College has not made its decision by January 20th, so that that president would sit until the Electoral College has, has made its vote, or if they cannot reach a majority, there's a secondary Electoral College by which each state state's congressional delegation um, figures out a vote. Uh, there's only one vote per state, and of course in the District of Columbia, and that's a secondary process by which a president is certified, and that has happened in a few different national elections through our history. So the point is that Al Gore could have continued to fight. He would have to, of course, convict, convince Congress to um, move that date up in order to give Florida the time. It was an injustice uh, perpetrated against the citizens of Florida so that they could not fully enact their law. So go ahead, Mark. You, you feed off of that and give me your opinions, disagree, agree, whatever. Go ahead. I got one word. Oi. <laughs> uh, so under Florida law, uh, December 12th was the date that they had uh, statutorily set up that they need to certify their vote yeah. in Florida. And that's to go to the Secretary of State there. 
And so the second case that made it all the way up to the Supreme Court in this saga was Bush v. Gore. And there were two issues. One was the Equal Protection Clause, which you brought up, uh, sure that every vote was counted and counted equally. Uh, The second was about the method by which the vote was certified by that date. And the Supreme Court, at the end of the day, in a five to four decision, said that there was not a reasonable alternative method by which the vote could be tallied in time for the statutory requirement. In time. That's the key, key word. In time. They could, they could have done it uh, and followed the directions of the Supreme Court, but there wasn't the time and the Congress could have made the time. Well, I again, you'll see my nonpartisanship coming through here. I was on Al Gore's team. While I have my personal opinions, uh, we are a, a nation of laws, and the law of the land is what was determined by the Supreme Court. It was a five to four decision. They interpret the law of the land. They don't make the law. They interpret the law. That's that's true. That's true. But that's how it's set up for them to do, interpret it. And they inter- interpreted the provisions of Title Three of U.S. Code, uh, Section 5, the determination of controversy as to appointment of electors, to mean that that the statutory scheme in Florida with a December 12th deadline so that they could certify their vote had to hold. The problem is how we reached that December 12th. I forget the date in, in November when the election happened, but first Tuesday after a Monday in November is when it happened. Yep. So this is a month and a half later uh, uh, that the vote had to be certified by the uh, state of Florida and then go to the Electoral College for the Electoral College tally to happen uh, a week later. Uh, in that period of time, when they were doing the counting, first off, I, I think the Gore campaign, in my opinion, personally, I think, uh, and as an election lawyer, I think, uh, and as a politician, I think that the Supreme uh, that the uh, Gore campaign uh, would have been better served by doing a, a statewide recount from day one rather than cherry picking certain areas to, to recount because had they done so that would have occurred and just about every study has uh, that of this after the fact has concluded that a statewide recount would have gone in uh, Gore's favor whereas a, a county recount would have gone in barely in Bush's favor you, it was you, that close you're reading my mind yeah there was a consortium like a year later or something like that press organizations got together and that's a public record those votes and they went and counted hand counted every single vote throughout the state it took a long time and it sort and it showed it, what i've heard is that it depends on how you count the votes you know how do you interpret the ballots to, to, to signify a vote but anyhow what i've heard like you just said gore if there had been a manual hand recount of the whole state most likely gore would have won that election if they had done it in the first place the thing is they it, the dickering around and waiting too long to go through uh, picking out the, the counties, and then in the process of the, the, the recount, those who were following this at the time will remember there was a, a, there was interference in the election recount itself. There were groups that were banging on the doors, that were interfering in the hallways, that were obstructing uh, the count. And I believe what the Supreme Court ended up doing is encouraging or creating a mechanism by which others now have a roadmap for what you can do in a hotly contested and close election to make it close. So, you know, look, the state of Florida has enacted some reforms since then. Uh, They have improved their election machinery since then and the way that they're doing it. But 
things happen. And, and uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is you brought up that uh, the Vice President Gore could ha- and his team could have continued to fight. I, I went through something similar on a lot less uh, smaller of a level in my race for Secretary of State. At some point, uh, there comes a time in a campaign, no matter what, that you realize that you have to do some things for the good of the country. And I think that in the vice president's opinion and in his team's opinion, the benefits that could be gained by continuing to fight at that point would have so torn the country apart that it would have threatened some of our constitutional norms that we hold uh, hold as constants and would have led to a protracted fight. You could you could argue about whether that was a wise or a fair decision on his part or, or and his team's part or not, but it was not going to – at some point that had to end and that was the moment that the vice president chose to end it. It's – for people like me that had worked on the campaign and, and helped for a number of years, uh, it's not the outcome we wanted. It's not what we felt was just. We were unhappy. But at the end of the day, Bush was – the president and we had to honor that something else i wanted to get into um this idea of voter id laws and voter well i think the technical term for it would be felony disenfranchisement if i'm not mistaken two different issues it's two two different issues but um, but chris is the master of segues this is really good (laughs) he's getting to the topic okay two different issues but yeah um voter id laws and and disenfranchisement how what are your thoughts on both issues? Let's start with the voter ID laws. Well, the problem with voter ID laws is that there's not equal access to the voter IDs. The A, a really good example uh, of the problem here is Alabama. They had a special election for U.S. Senate uh, a few years ago. Uh, Doug Jones, a Democrat, ended up winning. Uh, because the Republican nominee, Roy Moore, was uh, had very questionable opinions on race and on women, apparently, uh, from things that he had said. Possible child molester, too. Uh, 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 okay. So a real winner. <laughs> That's uh, just me. Uh, and Doug Jones, a Democrat, is outnumbered by party registration in, in that state. Democratic Party is. Uh, so it was a very close win for Doug Jones, but it was there. Post Shelby County v. Holder, and remember Shelby County is in Alabama, post Shelby County v. Holder, Alabama, just like Arizona, was able to decide its funding issues and uh, on its own without having to get pre- uh, federal preclearance uh, and could decide to reduce funding for elections here and reduce polling sites, et cetera. Well, in Alabama, they decided to enact a voter ID law, but the voter ID that you needed to go to the polls, the only voter ID that you could use at the polls had to be issued by their motor vehicle department. The funny thing is, in Alabama, the Alabama legislature said, well, we're short on money right now. We don't have money to fund all these DMV offices. So where did they go about closing the DMV offices? Primarily in locations, intentionally or not, primarily in locations with a high percentage of African-Americans living there. All right, I'm about to stop you there. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. We have to pick up with this discussion um, next week. So 
you guys tune back in next week Monday 4pm to 5pm right here on Radio Phoenix